Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 201 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is the day after Christmas, December 26, 2011. we got a great show for you this week on the podcast, a little bit different show. I'm going to be flying solo today. I'm your, your host, Ryan Abraham, the publisher of USCFootball.com, and I'm actually in Alexandria, Virginia, visiting my sister and family out here. I'll returning, be returning to Los Angeles tomorrow on Tuesday, but so for today we're doing the show uh, on remote uh, in my sister's office and it's going to be a little harder to get people on the phone to have some guests today, so we're going to give Harvey Hyde, Dan Weber, Gerard Martinez, they're all going to get the week off, let them relax the day after Christmas and I'll try to answer all of your questions on the podcast solo. Again, it's Ryan Abraham, your host, USCFootball.com publisher. We do have a bunch of questions. If you have questions for us on the podcast, we love your emails. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can give us a call, 206-888-6755 is the phone number. Leave us a voicemail. We do have a couple of voicemail calls we'll play for you on the show today, and there was a lot to get to. Um, like I said, there's a bunch of questions. We have some USC team questions. We have some recruiting questions about scholarships, and a lot happened last week. I can give you kind of a, a recap of of what went down, I put a story up. It was a crazy 24-hour period for USC. Did some radio interviews on this. Um, but if you know from Wednesday to Thursday, some pretty crazy news with uh, TJ McDonald uh, deciding that he's going to come back for his senior season at USC. So that brings back the entire USC secondary, plus guys should be coming back off of an injury. Um, you might see an Anthony Brown. Who knows, you might see a Patrick Hall. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of different guys I think you're going to see return. So it should be a deep and talented secondary. And T.J. McDonald is so important because he was a leader on that defensive unit all last offseason during the workouts. T.J. McDonald took over a leadership role, took care of business there. So having your leader back on defense certainly helps. And uh, there were some JUCO signings as well. We're going to get to some questions on that. Uh, Morgan Breslin and Gerald Bowman, two J.C. guys that signed USC Stoll. Breslin away from UCLA at the last second. It was our only four-star recruit signed up. And the, the new UCLA coaching staff, Jim Moore Jr., comes in there. And uh, Lane Kiffin, they're trying to put up a big fight and, and, and get a lot of attention for UCLA football recruiting, going after guys like five-star offensive tackle Jordan Simmons. And what does Lane Kiffin do? Go in there in stealth ninja mode. No one even knows that he takes a visit to USC uh, last weekend. Gerard Martinez knew, and he was on it, and uh, also talked to uh, Morgan Breslin and knew that he committed. So it was a pretty interesting story there. He didn't want it to get out, and uh, you know, and, uh, I think that's understandable. You don't want to uh, alert coaches of the school that think you're going there in the last minute and get a bunch of phone calls at the, you know, at the last second. So I think it was an interesting uh, turn of events there for USC, but getting Bowman, who was also interested in Miami and Oklahoma, a lot of people felt was an Oklahoma lead getting Bowman to stay there. That Rivals.com is ranked the number one JUCO player in the country. Uh, pretty impressive. Also getting a couple 
uh, high school guys uh, to sign Chad Wheeler, uh, the offensive tackle uh, out of Santa Monica, and Scott Starr, the big linebacker recruit from Norco. So those two guys, so getting four early enrollees signed up, signed, sealed, and delivered. And I think that was part of Lane Kiffin's plan. You saw that come to fruition. And, you know, bringing some early guys that could count towards the class of 2011. And then that can focus now on the class of 2012 and try to bring in as many guys as possible. And then there's some other big news. I don't know if you heard. Uh, yeah, Matt Barkley decided that, oh, I'm going to skip the millions of dollars I can make in the NFL and stay at USC for one more year, citing unfinished business. Took a couple shots at the NCAA that I think a lot of people enjoyed and having the band and the song girls down there at Heritage Hall for his announcement was a huge deal. It was really a big deal. And I think it's such a, a boom for USC football right now. So many things have gone wrong. So many things have been negative around the program. And there's guys like TJ McDonald and Matthew Barkley who stuck around and did whatever they could to try to make the program better. I don't know if anyone expected a 10-2 and and a top five finish season this year. And that's what they did playing as well as anybody uh, at the end of the season and, you know, finishing with a 50 to nothing, but whooping, I guess you could say, of your arch rival UCLA. Obviously, that was a strong showing uh, from the Trojans and, and, you know, beating rival Notre Dame on the road, beating Oregon on the road, first time Chip Kelly has ever lost in Eugene. Some really important steps were taken by this program. And now you're going to see what happens with the recruiting class. So far, so good. A couple of great early enrollee signings. I think people were questioning how many early enrollees can he get? It's not. It doesn't necessarily have to be over. It's just a first day to sign was on Wednesday. But getting four guys in early, I think, is a big help uh, for this program. So lots going on. And then, of course, you know, like we said, the Matt Barkley news um, got USC in the all the papers and Sports Center and everything for all the right reasons. And uh, he comes back, and USC will be a top three program or so. And uh, you know, going for he has a chance to win the Heisman. They know they have a lot of work to do. So we'll see. Should be some interesting stuff uh, going on there. But anyway, so it was a crazy week last week. Of course, the day I'm traveling, I traveled on Wednesday and uh, landed just as the Gerald Bowman thing was announcing. And it happened to be my birthday. So it was kind of a crazy day trying to cover uh, what was going on. Well, actually, Thursday was my birthday. So Matt Barkley did uh, commit to stay at USC on my birthday. So there was a lot of stuff going on. I was traveling for the holidays and, and everything was kind of going down all at once. Um, a little bit crazy, but obviously it worked out pretty well for USC fans, and I hope you guys enjoyed all that. So I want to give you kind of a quick recap of what was going on, and show will probably be a little shorter today. I'll go as long as we need to to get through all these questions, and since it's like the day after the holiday, I'll be traveling again tomorrow. I don't think we're going to do a Trojan Blast tomorrow. Uh, we'll see. I'll talk to Gerard when we get back, but I'm going to be traveling most of the day tomorrow as well, and then the following week, we, Gerard and I will both be in San Antonio for the, the U.S. Army All-American Bowl with several USC prospects down there. That's in San Antonio, Texas. If you're going to be down there watching some of the practices, uh, let me know. Drop me an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Say hello. Uh, we will be down on the field filming and, and getting interviews with a bunch of the USC prospects that will be there. But we will try to do a special Trojan Blast uh, from San Antonio. Uh, so that should be fun. A lot of USC talk. We might even try to do a live show on Ustream. We'll see what the equipment set up and everything is like once we get down to San Antonio. But let's get to some of these questions. We had a, we did have a bunch of people 
writing in. Uh, we have the first one is from EFT Zunes. Uh, that's our buddy Guy. He says he desires to know how many of the so-called Ten of Troy any of you savants believe we will bag. I would myself be ecstatic if we bagged half of that group. So I'm not sure if you guys know. Uh, the Ten of Troy is a feature that um, Gerard Martinez puts up every month or so um, going up on uscfootball.com. The top prospects he feels that are the most important uh, for getting USC. And if you look through the list, there's uh, some five-star guys like Ellis McCarthy, Andres Pete. Um, he's a big offensive tackle from uh, Arizona. Kevon Seymour, uh, four-star cornerback uh, from Pasadena. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, down a big athlete down in Florida, 6'1", 180. Five-star kid, Kyle Murphy. Um, offensive line, Local offensive lineman, Zach Banner. Uh, another offensive lineman up in Washington. USC's up there for him. Uh, T. Shepard, who's a Notre Dame commit. Um, and we're, we have some questions on that. DJ Foster, the uh, stud athlete from Scottsdale, Arizona. Eric Armstead, the former USC commit and the four-star defensive end that a lot of people like better at offensive tackle from Elk Grove, California. And Tariq McCord, uh, a, a four-star defensive end from Tampa, Florida. He wants to know how many. I mean, these are the. This is the the reason he puts the Ted of Troy together. I mean, these are like the guys they're really going after. And, uh, you know, USC already has seven commitments and, you know, you're not going to be able to get obviously all 10 of these guys. I think getting about half is probably a good call. I mean, it would be, uh, you know, there's some, some certain guys that are certainly seem like they're leaning towards USC, like guys like Ellis McCarthy, Kimon Seymour, we thought was going to commit a while back. Uh, you know, Kyle Murphy's up there for him. Zach Banner, uh, guys like that. So I think there's four pretty good leans in that group or, or guys that are at least leaning towards USC and maybe you get one or two more, you know, other guys. But I think, you know, probably I'll let Gerard, you know, Gerard's the, the expert on all this stuff. I, I default to Gerard most of that, but my uh, educated guess, if you five out of that 10 would be pretty impressive uh, for USC, especially with a, a year of scholarship sanctions. So thanks for that question. Uh, guy, let's see. This one's from Melvin. I know Melvin has a couple of them. His first one was, since Matt Barkley is coming back for 2012, do you think all three quarterbacks will stay? If one or more leaves, who do you think will leave? That's from Melvin. And a uh, tough question. And I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I we've talked about the possibility if Barkley comes back. I, there's probably a better than 50 percent chance that someone uh, decides to go. I mean, it's tough. It's it, you, you redshirt. You're waiting around behind Matt Barkley. In the case of Jesse Scroggins, he redshirted, you know, two years ago and then got hurt most of this past year. Didn't really get any experience uh, behind Barkley to try and get a leg up on, you know, the other two freshmen that, that redshirted last year. Uh, but, you know, so it, it's going to be an interesting development, I guess, to see to watch what happens with all three of these guys. And, you know, all three may stay. You may get a couple of guys that are, that are thinking about taking off. But, you know, obviously it's just one more year of Matt Barkley. It's hard to, you know, learning from a guy like that, I think can be beneficial as well. And I think if you're a guy that's behind a, a Heisman trophy candidate like Matt Barkley, you can certainly learn a lot, but it's going to be depend a lot on the competition between each of them. And, you know, everyone has kind of a different resume coming in. You have two guys that are going to be redshirt freshmen, Max Wittick and Cody Kessler. And then Jesse Scroggins is going to be a redshirt sophomore. Uh, Kessler did seem like he was ahead 
most of last year for the number two rep. So, I mean, if you had to pick a guy that wouldn't be transferring, I would probably put my money uh, on him. But, I mean, I think all the guys, you know, like the beach Trojans, you see their parents down at practice and getting into things. So, I mean, we'll see. It'll definitely be an interesting development to see what happens with all three of those. Because I don't want to project, you know, who's going to transfer and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to say. And I think that it's kind of up in the air as far as any of those guys go. But thanks for that one, Melvin. Uh, Mark wants to know, he said, I'm confused. Ohio State self-imposed a scholarship reduction of five scholarships for three years, and the NCAA imposed an additional three per year. Does that mean they are down to a total of 24 versus down a total of 24 versus R30? Can you explain? So basically what happened, Mark, is the NCAA added a few more on. They, when it comes down to it, they have three years of scholarship limitations losing three per year, so a total of nine. USC loses a total of 30, and Ohio State loses a total of nine, both over a three-year period. So each year, Ohio State would be able to recruit 22 instead of 25. Shouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, I mean, USC is doing everything they can to make sure that a devastating 10 scholarship loss per year isn't that big of a deal. And, and I know a lot of people have said, I don't know if there's any other school in the country that could withstand the kind of sanctions that USC is withstanding right now. And we'll see. I mean, I haven't seen the actual scholarship uh, limitations hurt the program yet. I mean, there's certainly been negative recruiting because of the bull ban, and maybe you lose a couple kids because of that. Um, it's going to depend on how well Lane Kiffin can manage this. But uh, people have said that if you were in a conference like the SEC where there's a lot of other options, there's a lot of USCs or whatever you could say. I mean, if you're in – if you want to go to Florida or Georgia or LSU, um, you know, LSU gets hurt. There's a lot of other big name SEC schools that could come in and take those guys away. USC's really ruled the roost down in Southern California. Uh, and UCLA hasn't been able to take advantage of that. And that's when it could have really hurt USC. I mean, I think their rival could have been a, a major factor in bringing the program down a notch or two. And because USC has been able to keep bringing in, the five-star guys. And even last year, I mean, getting a guy like George Farmer, local five-star kid, UCLA, nowhere close to him. And De'Anthony Thomas, same thing. And De'Anthony Thomas ends up decommitting, but he goes to Oregon. He doesn't even go to UCLA. So you're not having a local rival that can come in there and take away some of these guys, you know, like a Jordan Simmons. Uh, they're going after him. You know, he's a five-star kid from Crespi, offensive lineman. Uh, you know, it doesn't look like he's going to go anywhere but USC. And it doesn't seem like the sanctions are going to hurt him. So they're still going to be able to, I told this to one of the radio stations I did an interview. I think we were serious satellite the other day, uh, high end that the guys that USC brings in five-star guys that want to play in the NFL. I don't see them not coming. Uh, it's going to hurt depth a little bit. And I think the, the real people it hurts, which, are, which is unfortunate are the guys like Kyle Negretti, uh, you know, any of the walk-ons that could potentially get a scholarship, I don't see how they can possibly get one now. So you got your starting punter, who's a going to be a senior next year and really should be on scholarship. I mean, he didn't let a single punt go into the end zone all year. And, uh, you know, that really limited what the return yardage was, good hang time, pinning guys inside the 20, but they're not going to be able to give him a scholarship because of sanctions. So I think that's where it's really going to hurt. It doesn't necessarily – I don't think it's going to hurt the program all that much. We'll see in the third year – if they do miss on a few prospects, and then I think it can kind of 
have a domino effect. But it does seem like Kiffin has a really good plan in place. He's going to bring in a lot of these top athletes. It's going to hurt some of the guys that don't get to play that much. Maybe a guy that kind of gets forced out because they need a scholarship, things like that. So uh, we'll see. But I think Ohio State's going to be able to handle those fine. I mean, uh, Urban Meyer is a, a stud recruiter. And I know USC fans are kind of worried about that. Um, I mean, it's not really going after the same players most of the time. But, you know, there's, I, I'm sure Urban Meyer will come to California and try and get a guy or two, and, and, and Lane Kiffin will go back and try to get some of the guys from, you know, Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, things like that. So I uh, wouldn't worry too much about that. But that's the basically the difference between the scholarships. Uh, Melvin has another question about comparing the punishment from the NCAA. Uh, it says, does the NCAA have to have some written basis or reasons for their punishment explaining why, for example, USC would be banned for two years on Bulls and less 30 scholarships over three years. And when one player, Reggie Bush, and one assistant, Todd McNair, was involved, saying, well, you should have known if you didn't know. And compare that to what Ohio State did, multiple players and the head coach who knew and lied <laughs> uh, about what was going on. And he goes, kind of goes on about it. Yeah, I mean, you're getting the, the general idea. He mentioned some of the other schools like North Carolina, in Miami and in basketball, Tennessee and Yukon, where the head coach was uh, directly involved. Yeah, you would think that, but the NCAA does not need any kind of written reason. Uh, they actually even passed a rule after they handed out the USC sanctions that precedent, meaning that if you can't to compare punishment of one school to another, has no place. There's no, they're not using precedent at all. So the fact that they gave USC two years and, and 30 scholarships doesn't mean anything when they're looking at Ohio state. And it doesn't mean anything when they're looking at Miami or North Carolina, it's terrible. And that's why so many national media members who you didn't see kind of say, wow, USC really got hammered. What's going on here? Like we were saying on the site and some of the local media was talking about that. Other people didn't really seem to care. Um, but we were saying, wow, this, and, and what we were citing was, what kind of precedent is this when you're talking about one player and an assistant coach that should have known um, and the testimony against him and the, the evidence, quote unquote, evidence against Todd McNair, because there's a, still a lawsuit going on. Uh, he's suing the NCAA. Um, it, was, it was pretty weak. And I think you're going to see some positive things for Todd McNair in his lawsuit in the future. I'm not sure how soon that future will be. But basically, the evidence wasn't all that strong. And still, what happened, you know, USC gets hammered. And you're like, well, then you have to set some kind of precedent. If you're going to hammer USC this way, Ohio State, something much worse, you have to hammer them as well. And obviously, that isn't happening. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of USC fans are upset. But, yeah, the NCAA passed a rule, Melvin, that there is no precedent when it comes to these punishments. It's basically they're at their own discretion to do whatever they want. And there's been the apples and oranges comparison and all that. So yes, we've been talking about this on the podcast for quite a while. Dan Weber has been writing a ton of stuff on this. Um, and yeah, it's not <laughs> definitely not fair. It doesn't make any sense. And that's the NCAA that everyone knows and loves, loves in parentheses there. Uh, well, let's go to a voicemail question. We have Darren uh, from Venice Beach. He has a question for us. Here you go. Hey, what's up, guys? Love the show. Um, quick question again. This is Darren from Venice. Um, 
I was curious to know, in light of the uh, Ohio State rulings that came down, I keep hearing that USC was uncooperative in their, uh, during the NCAA investigation, and that part of the reason why Ohio State had an easier time with the NCAA is because, um, in part because uh, they were much more cooperative. To what extent is this true? And, um, yeah, I'm just curious to know your thoughts on this. Thanks, guys. And slide on. Okay, Darren. So more of this Ohio State, uh, USC kind of comparisons there uh, about being uncooperative. So basically what was going on, um, Ohio State was playing. I mean, this is the way I kind of understand it in my beliefs. Ohio State was playing ball with the NCAA. I mean, they had guys on all these committees. And that's something that USC wasn't doing. And, and it kind of falls on the uh, heels, I guess, of, of Mike Garrett on his desk that he wasn't really involved with any of the NCAA committees and, and stuff like that. You know, the presidents, none of that. USC wasn't kind of in bed with them and, and being on their good side. And should that matter? I mean, it shouldn't matter, but it did matter. And I think some of that, um, it did. I mean, it was really a part of it. And some people even felt that Ohio State wasn't even going to get a bull ban. Um, so I think there's a lot of different factors in there. It's, it's really hard to compare. I do think there's some vindictive people and there are some people that were, were coming after USC. Um, and I do think that the, the PAC 12 didn't have the, their back and I, you know, the conference not being supportive of them. I, I don't think you would have seen that in the SEC if, if the NCAA comes after an Alabama or an Auburn, I think the conference is going to be behind them and they're going to support them. And, and I think USC had that run and the rest of the, the schools in the conference I don't think they minded seeing something happen like that uh, to USC. It does, definitely does seem like there's more of a, an attitude like that out here on the West Coast. But, um, yeah, essentially, it's it's not about being cooperative. I mean, if you read the NCAA report, they said the school was cooperative. You know, they're cooperating with um, USC. I mean, USC was cooperating with the NCAA. And, I, you know, I tweeted with uh, Charles Robinson, who's done a lot of breaking a lot of these stories, for Yahoo Sports, and uh, I forget the guy's name. There was a the the guy that ran the tattoo parlor who you know went to jail uh, wasn't talking with the NCAA, and I and there's some other guys I believe in the investigation that weren't talking. Where the convicted felon in the USC case uh, was disgruntled because of his relationship with Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush didn't pay him off, and so they did have uh, someone that could speak there. And they, you know the the committee on infractions they don't have any kind of uh, subpoena power or anything like that. So even though the witness that they had was, uh, I guess, less than scrupulous, I mean, I, I don't know, less than scrupulous, I guess you would say, or just wasn't, uh, you know, obviously he's a convicted felon, um, but at least it was someone that was, was talking to them. And I think they actually had that, and they don't get that very often, and they wanted to, to use it, and they brought the hammer down in that case. But the school was cooperating with the NCAA, and it says that in... The report. So I know there were some tweets going around out there that that said USC was fighting them all the way. No, I mean they weren't fighting them any more than Ohio State was, but they were, you know, they're cooperating. But there certainly was, you know, members of the Ohio State athletic department that are on different committees and stuff in the NCAA, and USC didn't have that. So I think Pat Hayden's trying to remedy that, and some people don't like that. Some people say, well, why are you going to play ball with them anyway? But um, basically, you can kind of show. Going forward, that hey, this is the way. If you want to try to coexist with this 
this organization that you voluntarily became a part of, um, this is how you got to do it. And we'll see going forward. Maybe they won't be anymore. Uh, maybe the NCAA will go away. Who knows? There's been a lot of talk of stuff like that. But that's kind of where we are right now. So, Darren, thanks for that one. This one is from Tim. He's like, thanks for the podcast and good reporting. Jarvis Jones is on several All-American teams playing for Georgia after being mysteriously cast out by USC. Armand Armstead's kept off the field as well. Seems to be affecting his quote-unquote little brother, Eric Armstead, in a negative way. Can you tell us what's going on with the medical problems with these players? What role do potential lawsuits play? Can't they sign a release? Is it lawyers just circling like vultures? The situation seems murky and destructive for USC and for the athletes involved. I couldn't agree with you more, Tim. And there's certainly uh, lawyers involved. But I think that the big thing is they're worried about the health of these student athletes. USC is a private school. They have doctors taking a look at these guys. I mean, Jarvis Jones had a neck injury and it wasn't looking like they were going to clear Jarvis Jones. They weren't clearing him. He goes to Georgia and he gets cleared there. And, uh, you know, if, if the only way USC is going to be proven right is something you never want to see it, you know, you want to see, you don't want to see anything happening to someone like Jarvis Jones, but what if Jarvis Jones gets hit and is paralyzed or a severe, you know, breaks a vertebra, something happened, you know, to his neck that, that was the reason or one of the reasons why USC wasn't going to clear him to play. Um, you see Frankie Telford, who's you know helping out right now, who was a really smart kid, another uh, Florida commit that was uh, Florida. He came in, you know, enrolled from USC out of the state of Florida, four-star linebacker. And, you know, he's not able to play again either. And he's a really sharp kid. And so he's going to stay in school and, and playing football wasn't everything that he was about. And he's going to be fine. Um, some players aren't going to be like that, and they, they want to play no matter what. I think Frankie Telford might have been able to go somewhere else and play too if he really wanted to, but I think he believed what the doctors were telling him, and you know, there was a risk to his life to be playing football again. And I think that's what they basically told Jarvis Jones. And you know, you're going to get different opinions, and you know, he found other doctors that had different opinions, difference of opinions. We don't know, you know, what Armand Armstead's ailment is, and there's, you know, we've had a lot of chats with the family and what's going on there. Uh, I don't think Eric's going to end up coming to USC. I know some people have told me they think he will. Um, I still don't think that's going to happen. I think the, you know, the family's not real happy with the way things are going down, but it basically boils down to, I mean, they're not keeping a kid out because they feel he's safe. I mean, they're keeping a kid out for a medical reason. And, um, I mean, I think you got to take your hats off to, to USC for doing that. It's unfortunate because there's some guys that are great, like Jarvis Jones would certainly have helped this team the last year that started three freshmen by the end of the year, a linebacker. So having a guy like that with some experience probably would have helped this defense early on too when uh, things were a little bit discombobulated, I guess you could say, even last year. Um, so I, I don't think that it's all about lawyers. I mean, I think there's a lot of medical reasons and stuff for what's going on. And, you know, I see Bree being a private institution can certainly uh, play into that. Uh, you know, people have talked about medical releases. I don't, it, it doesn't seem like legally that's something that, that they could do. And if there's more medical reasons behind that, then I think you can, can understand that. So yeah, it's kind of a mess, Tim. And unfortunately, I, I will, hopefully you don't have to see this, something like this happen again. But it's been going on, you know, we've seen this in a couple high-profile players, and uh, it's certainly unfortunate. But just, you, you, you wish the best. These are human beings that are 18, 19, 20 years old. 
if there's doctors out there that feel like they could risk, you know, walking again or even their life, you know, for playing the game of football, then I don't think you have, you know, I wouldn't have any issues with them saying, hey, just kind of hang up your cleats and, and go to school and try to get a degree. But uh, there's definitely difference in, difference of opinions out there, and it's kind of my take on that. And I'm sure you can go back in previous podcasts, you know, got Dan Weber and, and Harvey Hyde talked about that a little bit as well. I think even Gerard, too. Um, next up is Terry, and he wants to know, my question is the opposite of development. He asked a question last week. Um How's the staff on signing day deal with the issue if they receive too many letters of intent? Uh, will they go back and get some of the recruits and tell them they cannot accept their letter of intent, Terry? And so this is part of the issue. I think all coaches deal with this every year. Um, you know, it's kind of like when you get jump on an airplane and they've oversold their seats and uh, you expect a certain amount of people to not show up. Um, in this case, you know, if you get too many letters of intent in, I think what it boils down to, Taryn, is there's a lot of communication that's going on between the coaches and the players. And I think the players and the coaches know um, there's certain risks involved. And some players have, you know, that kind of conditional scholarship offers. Uh, It could be a condition of you have to be able to graduate early and enroll. And we saw a couple of those last year that turned into regular scholarship offers. Um, Charles Burks, everyone thought it wasn't going to get a real scholarship offer, only an early enrolling one. But once his school wouldn't let him uh, graduate early and leave school, then it worked out okay for him. So uh, they ended up giving a regular scholarship offer. So I think, Taryn, it boils down to there's a lot of communication going on. Um, coaches kind of get a, an idea of, hey, this is a possible scenario that could happen. And they kind of have to communicate that between players and parents and things like that. And I I think players understand now with USC in the position that they're in with the sanctions, there's going to be some tough choices being made. And I I don't think USC is going to be at fault for that. If you see some guys being kind of asked to leave or forced out or decide to leave on their own because of the writing on the wall, um, I don't know if USC has really many other choices than to do things like that. So, um, we'll see, Terry, and I'm curious to see what happens on signing day because everyone's going to be watching how many scholarships are given out, how many are left. Um, you know, if, if USC gets a last-second signing that no one expected, who gets dropped off? Uh, it'll certainly be a fun ride, um, Terry, to see what goes on there. Uh, all right, so Chris in San Pedro, he wants to know about the USC or anyone on the staff have a strategy targeting potential walk-ons. He said, I'm thinking players who may be lower Division I school scholarship players like the UTEPs of the world, or maybe not even getting an offer at all. He mentions uh, QB Kenny Potter of uh, San Pedro High with ties to the university or parents have the ability to pay their son to attend USC. Um, There's a lot of athletes that are good students and that can contribute. And certainly, uh, I think that's a possibility. Uh, you know, he mentioned Clay Matthews, Tony Burnett, guys that could add depth or become even become stars like a Clay Matthew did. Uh, is the staff looking into any of these hidden Trojans? And I, and I certainly think they are. And, uh, you know, a few names have come up on the Peristyle. You can read about those uh, guys that are potential uh, walk, guys that are potential walk on scholarship, I mean, not scholarship, but walk on players uh, at USC. Uh, a lot going on you know, with those guys. And. I think that's part of this recruiting process where they're going to offer them a preferred 
walk-on status. So some guys that can come in and provide depth, maybe they turn down a scholarship offer from a lower Division One program. You saw Abe Markowitz turn down a scholarship offer from Michigan State, and he wanted to walk on at USC. UCLA tried to get him to walk on as well. His father, Barry, played at UCLA, and he ended up wanting to go to USC as um, playing there now and ended up earning a scholarship. Um, so, yeah, I think there's going to be guys like that. And I, I think that – I don't know if you have need a specific strategy, Chris, because kind of part of it is you're going to – it's going to recruit itself. The fact people know that USC is going to need more depth. So I think you're going to get more guys looking at the program, potential walk-on guys, than before because they know even as a walk-on with only 75 scholarships, you might be able to get in there – and do some damage uh, as a walk-on. So I think it's going to help that aspect of recruiting, knowing that there are fewer scholarships to give out. So good question, Chris. And uh, well, you'll see. You'll see some more of those come in. I think you're going to see some more high-profile guys, maybe some transfer guys. Uh, Peter Yobo is a guy that was uh, at San Jose State and transferred down. So you might see some guys transfer in from other programs as well, transfer in as walk-ons and, and do what they can to contribute. Uh, this one's from Kevin. You mentioned that if Josh Shaw transfers, he's the uh, defensive back from Florida who's out you know, from the West Coast but uh, went to Florida and now is transferring out of the program. He may not count as an early enrollee uh, or a scholarship from the recruiting class, but only towards the 75 scholarships. But uh, Theron Collier counted as an early enrollee when he transferred to USC. What's the difference here? Um, had a good conversation with compliance members, Kevin, about how this goes. And, and transfers didn't come up yet, and so I need to go back and get some uh, more clarification on that. Uh, Gerard had talked to somebody, uh, I forget who it was, but he, they had mentioned that the transfers only count towards the uh, the final number, which is the 75, and not the, like the year number, which is the 25 or 15 or so. Uh, but then we did get some contra- uh, conflicting information on that, I do think if he transfers in and enrolls, then he would be part of the previous class, that the class of 2011, a guy like Josh Shaw. Um, but, yeah, that, we're still trying to get some clarification on that. We put a whole bunch of stuff in the war room on how a player can go from a scholarship player to a non-scholarship player and still play football and count towards the person. So there's a lot of uh, complexity in these rules from the NCAA that I think a lot of people would like to see uh, cleared up. But um, as far as the transfers go, we do think now that it does count towards, you know, he can enroll in January, for example, and and count towards the class of 2011, essentially being another early enrollee. But the important part is he would still count uh, towards that 75 number, which everyone is kind of questioning how that's going to happen. Um, all right, we all let's see. We have another voicemail question. This one's from Barry uh, about some of the JUCO recruits. So let's go to Barry right now. Yes, hi. My name is Barry, and I have three quick points I'd like to uh, make and/or ask questions. Uh, first, I'm looking at this ESPN report about the two JUCO recruits that we signed. I want to know what your opinion is about their proficiency. Number one. Number two. My question is concerning JUCO recruits in general. How it, I read somewhere that Alabama and LSU specialize in recruiting JUCOs. So my question is, is that is that more of a viable option for freshmen? Why wouldn't USC look at, if they're getting the same potential 
playtime out of them, why wouldn't they look at more JUCOs instead of freshmen? And I guess my third question would be, it sounds to me like they're ramping up their defense. And uh, from what I saw this year, the defense improved quantum leaps. Uh, what's your opinion as far as the defense is concerned? Uh, it looks like there's more of a focus on defense than, than there is on offense, or maybe it's just that the offense is where it needs to be in the defense uh, is is always constantly improving. Uh, I personally am thrilled about what I see, and I just would like to get your opinions on that. Thank you. All right, Barry, thanks for that one. Good questions there. Let's see. So the first one was Morgan Breslin and Gerald Bowman. Um, definitely like both these guys. Bowman, like I mentioned earlier, Rivals.com moved him up to the number one JC prospect in the country, and he was almost a five-star guy. They didn't they didn't name any, uh, Rivals.com hasn't named any JUCO guys a five-star this year. They really try to be, um, they, they limit themselves as far as five-star prospects go. I think sometimes recruiting services can go out and just name a whole bunch of guys five-stars to get people excited, but they really try to be, uh, they try to do their homework as far as giving five-star guys out. And, then, and from what I was told, Bowman was really close to uh, being a five-star guy, but they didn't name him one. Uh, but right up there, number one JC prospect in the country. So certainly the guy that can come in and help, and he can learn from a, a guy like a TJ McDonald coming back. And then Morgan Breslin, who uh, you know he led the JC or led the state of California, I believe, in the the last two years uh, in sacks on the quarterback. So I mean, certainly an important recruit. You know, losing a guy like Nick Perry, um, you know, he was part of a three man defensive end rotation. You need to at least replace him and then have some young guys step up as well. And, you, you know, you saw some guys redshirt in the program. So I, I think both these guys are going to be able to come in and contribute. And and both those guys could be on the, the, the two deep. And that's saying something because of the number of players coming back. Uh, so many freshmen and sophomores that play in this last year's team. So I think both those guys have a good shot at that. We'll be looking forward to them in spring football and seeing what's going with that. He also wanted to know um, – Looking at the JUCOs instead of freshmen, I, I think it's hard for USC um, to take as many JUCOs as, as some other schools, and and you have to get guys in. There, there's always class problems, um, you know, trying to get all the units and stuff to line up. And um, Isaiah Wyatt, we saw the problem last year. You know, thought he was going to enroll early, wasn't able to come until later. So there's certainly some issues with taking JC guys, and I think you you would like to bring in as many freshmen as possible. Uh, keep them there for, you know, the four years or, or the three years and go to the NFL, whatever, you know, things like that. So I, I do think they prefer to bring in freshmen. But right now with the plan, you know, Pete Carroll wasn't big on the JC guys. And uh, Lane Kiffin got a couple of guys late last year because they were trying to bring in as many bodies as possible. Some of those guys worked out. Some of them haven't really turned into much yet, but we'll see what happens there. But, you know, Lane Kiffin's plan was to bring in as many guys as possible and this year, the same thing. He wanted to bring in some early enrollees, a couple of JC guys that he thought he could get um, that were higher-end JC guys. He got them both. So I, I think that's a, a great win for USC there. If, if those guys didn't come, maybe you would have seen some other guys that aren't, you know, maybe three-star JC guys that he would have went after, guys we didn't even think about and guys we didn't know. He's been really ninja about all this stuff. So, uh, you know, hats off to Link if and his – his plan seems to be working, and uh, we'll see once these, you know, the next couple of years after signing day and how many guys gets there and then what the plan is for the next couple of years 
uh, of signing guys. So we'll see about that. And then the other one was about uh, ramping up the defense. Um, is it is my opinion what on the defense was and was the option? I mean, was the uh, excuse me my opinion on what the defense was and is it more of a focus on the defense and the offense? He's thrilled at what he sees, and you know I I think a lot of USC fans are and. Uh, Lane Kiffin's focused on the offense himself as well, but there's been a lot more scrutiny, I guess you could say, of the defense last year. The beginning of the year, though, I think the defense played a little bit better and the offense didn't play as well. So it's, it's we've seen both sides, and we've seen both sides get criticized. You've seen games where both sides have played well, uh, you know, especially at the end of the season, like the, the Oregon game. Um, you know, in the beginning of the season, I think the defense was playing better against, you know, not the greatest competition, but... Uh, game like the the Cal game, I think the defense kind of took over in that game. And there's other games like Arizona where it was basically the offense that won the game. So I think USC's done it on both sides of the ball. Fairly consistent play from special teams. There's a couple of games where there were special teams lapses I did not expect because they do put so much focus on that. Um, but I mean, it, you know, it's getting better. I think you want to see a second year of a program, uh, some big improvements, and I think we got to see a lot of that. So. Uh, thanks for that one, Barry. Let's see, we got a couple more. Man, my voice is going. You try to do the whole, I mean, we've got like 40-something minutes already. You try to do the whole podcast by yourself. That's not easy. But hopefully you guys are enjoying it. And I'm sorry, again, we don't have any uh, guests on this week. And we'll, we'll continue that. Well, next week we'll get people on. And I know it's, it's going to sound a little weird because I'm not on my regular microphone setup. But hopefully you guys are uh, hearing okay and enjoying it. Um, last couple ones. Do you... JC, JD and DC asked about Breslin. We kind of already talked about him, and he's good for the depth of uh, a defensive lineman. And talk about the, the prospects on the defensive line this year being a little, uh, not as, a little lean, I guess you could say, with Noah Spence signing with Ohio State. And yeah, he would have been, Noah Spence would have been a great guy out of Pennsylvania for, for USC to get, and someone that certainly was interested in that. But, you know, Urban Meyer going in there, I think he really made an impression on Noah Spence. And he would, you know, people, I got tweets about this guy. Oh, you know, USC recruiting is in, uh, you know, downfall because uh, Noah Spence signed with Ohio State. Kid from Pennsylvania signs with Ohio State? Come on. Uh, That's really not that big of a deal. Um, So, yeah, you can't really count on guys like that uh, signing with USC. Those are just kind of like guys that Pete Carroll and Lane Kiffin showed they've been able to get. But you can't get upset when a guy from Western, you know, from Pennsylvania ends up signing with Ohio State, that's more than likely to happen. All right, and uh, JD also wanted to know JD in DC. Who I'm actually quite close to DC right now. JD, I'm in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, do you like Shepard T. Shepard better than Kevon Seymour at cornerback? Uh, T. Shepard is the uh, kid from Fresno that visited USC, but is a commit to Notre Dame. And Kevon Seymour, I think, is USC lane. I do like Seymour. A little bit better, but of the two, like uh, Shepard and Greenberry, the two Notre Dame commits, I think USC has a better shot at uh, T. Shepard. I think just Shepard would be better fit for the program right now, and I think Gerard kind of talked about that a little bit. But I do like I like Seymour better. I mean, I haven't seen either of them in person; it's only been from tape. So I know Gerard's been out there to see those guys, and he can probably give you some more opinions on that. But he also says uh, Bowman greater than Shaw. At uh, safety recruiting targets, I, I mean Bowman, you know, like we said, number one JC player in the country. Really like him. I haven't got, I haven't got to see Shaw as much uh, at Florida. I know he had some issues there, uh, but he did get he did, got a lot of playing time, and he was definitely in games and stuff. And uh, I think he played ten games. 
this final year. I think the the fit right now is better Bowman than Shaw as long as Bowman can get his classes done and and can you know enroll early. I'm not sure what the uh, academic situation with Shaw is, how you bring him in because right now it's not just about how guys can play. It's how well they can kind of fit in to the program and not be a burden, uh, not be a risk. And I think there's probably a little more risk with, with Shaw right now since we don't know the whole situation with him academically and all of that. So, um, yeah, and uh, th- he asked about Shaw sitting out a year. Um, yeah, we do believe he would have to shit out a, a, to uh, sit out a year. Um, so there's a – I mean, I, I think playing time and all that stuff, everything comes into play. But I think right now – with the, the scholarship, with the sanctions and scholarship limitations, you do have to find guys that are a great fit for the program, not just great players. And it's tough because you have to have a great player too. You can't just get guys because they're good in the classroom or they're graduating on time or whatever. Um, but I did, Bowman, as long as he gets all the uh, schoolwork, that, you know, he was scheduled to be able to transfer in early and enroll in January. So, I think a guy like that would be a great fit. He can come in and he can play um, or show. I think, you know, could petition for things like the, for hardships and stuff like that. But there's any times there's more questions around. Um, and, you know, unless the player is like so much better that it's worth taking more risk and asking more questions or, or getting more questions answered. I think you kind of go with the, the surefire guy that you think is, is going to come in and, and play. And I think the coaches really love Gerald Bowman. And I think having him in there, it was a big get for USC. Um, we also had Antonio in Saudi Arabia had a couple of recruiting questions. I'm going to save those for Gerard because there was some real specific stuff in there that I know he has more knowledge of than, than I do right now. So I'll let uh, I'll let Gerard answer those. We'll try to do a Trojan Blast uh, next week. I'll save that one for Gerard. So Antonio in uh, Saudi Arabia, sorry about that. Plus my voice is about to go out anyway. But I hope you guys enjoyed the uh, 2000, 2,201st episode of the Peristyle Podcast. We had a lot of fun last week. If you uh, go to peristylepodcast.com, you can go up on the site and, and see our 200th episode where we did a roundtable with Gerard and Dan and Coach Harvey Hyde. We were over at McKay's Restaurant, and I took everybody to lunch. It was a lot of fun. We had you know, some fans come down, and we got to chat with them, and it was a, it was a really good time. So uh, thanks for being – and we also had Lane Kiffin. Uh, as part of our 200th episode. So if you missed that, we had him on. This was before Barkley decided, and Kevin actually told me that he felt that uh, Barkley hadn't made up his mind yet. I think it was right about the time when Barkley, it was really leaning towards uh, leaving and then ended up you know, deciding he was going to stay and try to do something special. So thanks to Lane Kiffin for coming on that show. You can definitely check that out, our 200th episode. Like I said, we will not do a Trojan Blast this week. And we're not going to do a live show this week. It'll be coming back from vacation travel and all that. But we're going to try to do all of that stuff the following week from San Antonio, where Gerard and myself will be um, covering the U.S. Army All-American game and some several USC prospects out there. Should be a lot of fun. Um, again, I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. Coming to you from my sister's office down here in Alexandria, Virginia, but... I wanted to get a show up for you guys, and uh, I know we didn't have any guests on, but hope you enjoyed it anyway, and we'll talk to you again next week, talking more USC football and recruiting. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. 
Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 